Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Daniel M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Lee Bardugo, the New York Times bestselling author of Ninth House and the creator of The Grishaverse, coming soon to Netflix. Her short stories can be found in multiple anthologies, including Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. And now here's our first letter. Would you read our next letter? I happily will. Forced roomies is the subject. When my parents got married, my dad moved into the house my mom already owned. When she died 11 years ago, I was 12, I inherited her house with the provision that my father could live there for 15 more years. This sounds like the setup of a novel, actually. My dad remarried. That was not part of the letter. My dad remarried while I was away at college, and my stepmom and her two kids moved in. It's always been complicated, but things have gotten worse since I moved back in after graduation. They decided my 12-year-old stepsister should share my room instead of sharing with her brother. Took down all pictures of my mom and got rid of a bunch of her stuff. I was fine with the bedroom thing when I was off at school, but insisted on having it to myself when I moved back in. Things got ugly, and now I have a lock on the door to keep my stepsister out. I keep putting my mom's pictures back up, and they keep taking them back down. They also don't contribute towards utilities or anything else. How do I live like this for the next four years? They act like I'm a child living in their home, when in reality, they are living in my home for free. I plan to sell the house in four years and use the money to buy a condo and go to graduate school. There is contention about that, too. They want me to move out and just rent the house to them at that point. They are not in a position to buy it. How do I put my foot down? You're absolutely right. I this is almost like sense and sensibility. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, I said I would let you stay in the house for 15 years, but really what she meant was 10 years, perhaps five, perhaps two months. An excellent recap of that character. Yeah. Did you get the sense that this was like a legal provision? I assume that it is. I have never heard of something like this. And it is the kind of thing I would question the legality of. However, I don't know that this person, to me, this is a question of, do you want to have a relationship with these people again in the future? Yeah. Yeah. To me, I think the biggest sort of ethical issue is as frustrating as you may find your step-siblings, um, until they are 18, you're talking about their family home when they have no other place to live. So I would say if it were just your dad and your stepmom, I would probably have an answer that was sort of like, decide when you want to sell the house and sell the house when it's convenient for you. Let them figure out what they're going to do next. But, you know, your your stepsister is 12 and I don't know how old your your other step-sibling is, but she has no ability to control how her parents act or behave. She has no power in any, I mean, she might be annoying personally, I get that, but like she has no real power in this situation. So anything that would involve selling the house when she is still a minor and would potentially be made homeless. And again, you know more about your your parents' savings or other resources or other options than, than I do. But I, I would just say, I, I think if what you need is to not live with them, 
you know, to, to find a situation where you can not live with them, but not also sell the house out and possibly, you know, upend the financial stability of these kids. That would be good. I think there is a compromise to be made here. There's sort of a lot of possible compromises to be made here, but they all require sort of an honest reckoning with your own resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a feeling that like, you know, the conversation, the things that should have been conversations were ultimatums, that nobody is particularly happy with the situation. But, you know, there's a question of how you want to feel at the end of all of this and who you want to be in conflict with. But I think you could, again, not knowing what the financial situation really is for these people, you could have a sit down and say, look, it's not great for me to be here. I I want to propose, you know, I don't know what your financial situation is, but here's a here's a possible plan. Let's work on a plan together for what the next five years are going to look like or the next 10 years are going to look like, you know, maybe they can pay her rent now so that she can afford. Actually, I don't know if, I don't know if the letter writer's gender, but so that they can afford a, an apartment on their own or Mm -hmm. a shared living situation on their own. I understand the desire to be in your own home. Clearly this is deeply connected to your relationship with your mother, but to find a plan that will make your life not feel full of conflict every single day And that will also allow for a resolution that doesn't blow everything up for this whole family and particularly for these kids. Yeah. And and then, yeah, again, to that end, consult a lawyer. um, If you can go back and, you know, whatever lawyer handled uh, disposing of your mother's estate, that might be an option. You might have to get a lawyer of your own. It might take a little while to find somebody who specializes in like real estate law with weird codicils and people's uh, wills. Um, But figure out, both like what you were, because there's also the question of what you're legally able to do, depending on what state you're living in. The fact that they've been living there for years, even if they have not been paying rent, might very well mean that you you would not even just be able to like say like, here's your eviction notice. So you really, really need to make sure that whatever plans you make for the future, you are legally entitled to do so. Um, that is huge. Yes. And the only reason I know the word codicil, by the way, is from Agatha Christie. Like, I would never have known. Oh, same. Like, it's just, and, and I literally have never heard it spoken until this very moment. Well, that, was, but, that was my first time saying it out loud, and I guessed. <laughs> I'm glad I was there for that. Um, but I, I do, like, please consult a lawyer, because this made me nervous when, when the letter writer said, it's my, you know, the, they're living in my house for free. And I was like, I really hope that that is... I hope the ground beneath you is firm on that. Um, And again, it would be good to know sort of, because they are technically tenants, I think, then, even if they're not paying you rent, there's a lot of laws governing uh, those rights. So knowing where you stand and then being able to make a decision from a position of knowledge. But again, I think there's a lot of sadness and hurt in this that is wrapped up with this person's mother's death and, um, and what this house means. You know, some houses are like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's a hard situation. It's complicated, especially because they're your family, um, or at least you feel like some of them are. Um, It's also hard because it just does not seem like it was a great decision on your mom's part to split the difference of like, okay, the house is yours, but for 15 years, your father will live in it. And there's apparently no provision for whether or not he'll pay rent. I don't know. Again, maybe check the will. Is there a provision for whether or not he'll pay rent? Is that part of the will legally enforceable? These are all questions for a lawyer. Um, well, and who's happen- responsible for taking care of the house for upkeep? Mm-hmm. What if the roof falls in? Like, who's who? Who is legally obligated to deal with that? And if this gets really ugly, like, 
you know, you have if you have people who are legally entitled to be in your home and who have no investment in keeping it, you know, sanitary and intact, like houses fall apart, bad things happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that they have the sort of general interest in the sense that they and their kids live there. Um, I mean, that's the kind of story I wrote when I was a kid was like me running away from home and inheriting like a manor house, but it never happened. But I I think what I, it's a situation where you've been given people, you've been given business partners you didn't intend to have. And I think you, as uncomfortable as it is, and as, again, these people may be behaving horribly and unkindly, but you're in business with them and you have to remain in business with them. And this is all about easing your own way, you know, not about, and also being able to look at yourself at the end of all of this and be like, okay, I handled that well. I wasn't a schmuck. Yeah. I think that's exactly the right set of priorities because, you know, on the one hand I could say, well, if they're not paying utilities, you know, get that lawyer, start sending them bills, only communicate through your lawyer, lawyer, potentially take them like to small claims court or sue your father for like back rent. But it's like, then you have to weigh that against we live together. He's my dad and we're seeing each other in court. So you, yeah, you have to kind of weigh how much work and energy am I willing to put into getting some money here? And what is my leverage? And and I think again, especially if like not making a 12 year old homeless is part of your kind of commitment throughout this process, that also cuts way back on your ability to push. If your, your father and your stepmother are just like, we don't care to give you money. That doesn't mean you have no options, but it does mean there are going to be certain points where you have to say, okay, the only thing I can control here is my own sanity and getting some space. Where else might I want to live for the next couple of years? Where else can I go? Um, if we keep putting down and, and and putting back up the same pictures, maybe you want to put up your, your pictures of your mother in your own room and keep the lock on the door. Um, that way, at least you don't have to deal with like the pain of seeing her pictures getting taken down all the time. And I'm so sorry. This is an awful situation. It sounds maddening. And losing your mom when you're 12 is just brutal and stays with you. That's the kind of grief that, that, you know, it doesn't, it sucker punches you when you least expect it. So I get how fraught this is, but one of the things I like to tell myself when I'm feeling uh, like doing something reckless is there's always time to be an asshole later. Like, you know, you have so much time to decide to, to, to be a jerk down the road it's not like that door ever closes. So you can exhaust a lot of options before you make that choice. But it is always, it comforts me to know that it is an option that I always have in the back. Yeah, yeah. And my, my last thought here will just be in terms of other options you have, you are free to lose respect for your dad. You know, it might feel sad or you might feel disappointed, but if you feel like I just want to get through this and then like cut way down on our contact and just kind of think he's not a great guy afterwards, do it. Let this change how you see him if that feels true and necessary to you. It's always okay to lose respect for your dad. You don't have to respect him just because he's your dad. Okay. Just, I just love to throw that in for free. Sometimes people have unrelated <laughs> problems and at the end I'm like, have you tried respecting your father less? I did. And now my life is great. I have zero respect for my bio dad and it is quite freeing, I must say. I'm just, I'm just going to move on to our next letter. The subject is, don't ask me about my work, Kay. Dear Prudence, I had an almost 20-year career in finance. I never loved it, but I was good at it, and I made a lot of money. I tried shifting my role at this company to a lower-intensity one, but I found the work so dull yet simultaneously stressful that I realized it was only a matter of time before I made a really costly mistake. My wife and I have been married for 10 years and have an 8- and a 6-year-old. 
Over the last few years, I've taken on some alternative energy projects on some of the properties we own, and in so doing, got to know the owners of one of the companies we work with quite well. I learned he was looking to retire and wanted to sell his small business to someone. We struck a deal where I worked with him for a few years and then bought the business. I've loved it. I feel such a sense of accomplishment when we complete a complicated project. And after my workday is over, I still have lots of time and energy for my kids. It's not much money compared to what I used to make, but we've got plenty. So what's the problem? My wife hates it. She seems ashamed of my clambering on roofs, digging trenches, and pulling wires. She would prefer I be retired instead of, quote, playing with oversized toys. I've tried to get to the bottom of what's really bothering her, but it seems like there's no deeper agenda here than anxiety about social standing. She's always professed to be progressive. It is bewildering that she would look down on manual labor, particularly when it's better for the environment. I'm afraid that my kids will pick up on her scorn and I am out of ideas. I think you're right, letter writer. I think you've tried to get to the bottom of this. I don't want to speculate like, oh, maybe she's worried about your safety, but she's so embarrassed about being worried about your safety that she's pretending to have contempt for you. I think this is one of those things where like you've learned that sometimes your wife acts in a way that is at odds with her values. And so the question is just like, how do I tell my wife that she needs to keep her thoughts to herself? I, I think that's it here. I think all that needs to happen is like, you've made yourself incredibly clear on this front. I am in no danger of thinking that you like the work that I do. The good news is you don't have to do any of that work. I, I no longer want your input. And I guess in terms of the kids, I think it's have worth saying, like, you are free to have scorn for what I do and uh, and to talk to yourself about, talk to your friends about it if you want. But, you know, I don't want it communicated to our kids. And, and, and I don't want, I don't want the idea that uh, manual labor or is somehow uh, contemptible to be passed down to our children. Like, or that the idea of not always having the job where you make the most money, even if it makes you miserable. This this one hit me really hard, this letter, because I feel like I've seen so many people uh, brought to misery by the idea of what they should be doing as opposed to what they want to be doing. And even to the extent, like I was uh, talking to a woman who did my makeup today for this lovely shoot. And she was like, yeah, I didn't want to go to college. I knew what I wanted to do with my life, but my parent, my parents didn't want their kid to have not gone to college. So and I was like, wow, thanks. Congratulations, you're not going to be entering a competitive field saddled with that, but that's not an uncommon theme. Um, and I felt for this guy, and I felt like a lot of people aren't lucky enough to find something that they really love to do and that they find gratifying and that they get paid for, even if it isn't as much as... And, you know, clearly they're doing fine. I wonder... I don't know. I'm so bad at this that I'm like, don't say terrible things. But I wonder if, if he said to his wife... I, I feel disrespected by you. Is that what you're trying to convey to me? Like, it's one thing to say, like, do you have a deeper agenda? And is this about X or Y or Z? But to maybe step away from what she's feeling and say, I, we have a marriage, we have kids, and I've worked my whole life to to help contribute to the household. And, uh, and I feel like you really don't respect me anymore. Hmm. I... I would be shocked if if this person then was like, yup, don't respect you and don't want you to feel respected. Like, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's exactly what his wife will say. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's like a D situation where it's like, I'm so glad you asked. I think you're a piece <laughs> of shit. Allow me to unload with both barrels now that you've opened this opportunity to me. I hope that's not true. 
I think feeling contempt from your partner or disrespect from your partner is just uh, such an undermining and depressing thing. And yeah. I, I respect that this person has even tried to be like, yo, what could be going on here? But this is just mean. <laughs> what was being mean? Like, this is bizarre. And, and I don't know anyone who... It, it seems like such an antiquated notion to be like, oh, his hands are filthy with, the, you know, the dust of the blue collar. Like, it's a very weird way of looking at, at life and goals, especially when you see so many people who are like, I disavow my job in finance and then go to make a, you know, hydroponic vegetable garden. Like, this is a very common thing now. Yeah, I just think. You, you've tried to get to the bottom of this. I think all you need now is like, I don't really know what's been going on with you. I haven't liked it. I'll tell you one thing. Like, it doesn't make me enjoy spending time with you. It doesn't make me feel especially like... Loved. If I was just, You know, if I was just meeting you for the first time and you talked about somebody else's job like this, I would not want to hang out again. Um, but like, whatever. You've made your point really clear. So at this point, let's just say I know very well that you don't like my job. I have heard your feedback. I have declined to quit my job. You know that this work makes me really, really happy and then I'm going to keep doing it. So all I need from you is to stop saying this shit. Um, hopefully she can do that. If she can't, um, you know, I think those are the moments where you get to say like, I'm done with this conversation. Walk out of the room, take a walk, cool down, come back later, talk about something else. But just, um, yeah, really, you can at least, even if she's not meeting you in the middle here, you can really draw a line and say like, I'm done having conversations where you like denigrate my job. 100%. You know, hopefully that will shame her. Not like shame her, like you should be shamed, but like that will recall her better nature. I think a little shame would be okay here. This is really unkind. And I keep wondering, and I know we're not supposed to speculate, but I'm like, does she have a secret compulsive shopping habit where it's like they mm. need the money and he doesn't know they need the money? Like I, it's such a strange way to behave to somebody you're supposed to love that it, I find myself looking for answers that are probably completely off. Base. You're allowed to speculate as long as you know you're speculating. Um, yeah, and I don't know if there's even like a, a particular debt issue so much as, yeah, she may have just been like, actually, I really liked those 20 years where you had a job you hated and I kind of don't care that you're happier now because I liked the prestige and the cash and I don't wow. like this. And again, like it, it could be one of those things where she's just been in kind of like a snitty mood for a while and is not acting like a better version of herself and you can eventually move past it. Or this may feel like, I'm starting to think this is just your character, in which case it makes me sort of, I mean, that's, that's I don't say that like as a, as a ploy. Don't do that to like bait her into saying, oh my God, I'm sorry. I just mean like, does this kind of make you think less of your wife? Do you, do you need to reevaluate how highly you think of her? Because she knows you love this apparently. I mean, I assume, like I, I assume at some point you communicated to her that finance didn't make you happy, right? I mean, I think we're seeing sort of that that teetering in the brink of like, I do not want to believe that the person I've chosen to spend my life with and build a family with and have a home with is not a good person or doesn't want to see me happy. And I'll mm -hmm. say this too, you know, my dad, my real dad, not my bio dad, um, worked at a very high power, challenging job. And his whole goal was to work his butt off so that he'd be able to retire at a certain age. And almost immediately after, he got sick, he got cancer, and he ended up dying in his early 60s. Like, I'm not saying that that is, like, you know, that these things are connected. But what I am saying is, like, it is a good, your job, your work takes up such a huge amount of your life. Like, it is so much of what you do. 
and to pretend that you should, you know, that that you should make yourself unhappy for every minute of the day until you come home and you get to see your family is really a, a thing nobody should be able to ask of you. Uh, good luck. I'm really sorry. I hope she knocks it off. Me too. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 